Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to a new episode of Audio Signals. Get ready to take a journey into the known, the unknown, and everything in between. Recorded at no specific point in time nor space, ITSP Magazine's co-founders Marco Cipelli and Sean Martin follow their passion and curiosity as they venture away from the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society to discover new stories worth being told. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Marco. Sean. When was the uh, last time you drank dirty water? (laughs) I drank dirty water? Uh, Define dirty water. Is it just the water that's not as clear or is it actually dirty? Does a a whiskey uh, qualify as dirty water? I think any of that could be be, uh, the truth. But I, you know, I go backpacking and you don't just scoop up a a cup of water. (laughs) (laughs) and <laughs> drink it you have to put it through a process sometimes with with uh electricity sometimes with tablets sometimes with a filter um somebody does all that for us to drink it right but uh hopefully <laughs> hopefully that happens know your source uh, know where your source is <laughs> know your source <laughs> but uh I, I think obviously i'm teasing a little bit about uh water here but in terms of drinking, but there's, there's other types of water around the country as well. And uh, so I'm, I'm interested to hear how water plays a role in everything we do and, and what we need to uh, do to protect it. Well, I think there is the shortcut, which is you use chemicals, but then you end up drinking it. If I'm going to stick with your metaphor, which I have to say, for people watching the video, they see there is Tara with us. Hi, Tara. We're getting somewhere. Don't worry. We're getting there. Hopefully we will, yes. And for those listening, just know that this is not just me and Sean, as usual, just trying to go somewhere that we don't know where we are. But it always started like this. I have no idea what Sean is going to ask me. And so sometimes I'm like, I don't know. But yeah, I can see the connection. Well, I was going to go with because... weeds, but uh, I, I decided not to talk about weeds yet. I think we'll get I, to the weeds I later. thought it was more natural. I'm in the weeds okay, at this point. Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of like climbing on, on, uh, on, I don't know, on a mirror here to get out of this. So I'm kind of tempted to just pass the ball to Tara, Tara Lordy and tell us what, uh, what, what she does and who she is. I know you are in Florida, so... Uh, I think there is a connection already there, but you, you tell us more about yourself. And then I'll try to find the connection with the, the drinking water when you go hiking. I don't know how I'm going to do that. Tara, um, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Marco and Sean. It's, it's nice that you've had me on your, have you have me on your show. I'm, I'm happy to talk about water. I'm t- happy to talk about some of the issues that we face on the planet um, and how we have solutions to face that we face on the planet and um, drinking water is super important Um, but we're going to focus a little bit more uh, today on fresh water 
which is your lakes, streams, canals. Um, we're talking about uh, fresh water, not salt water. Let's stay focused on water that's inland. So I started a company about uh, in 2010. So we're talking about 23 years ago with my husband, my late husband. Uh, we started a company because he came from Toronto. I came from the Catskills in New York, which is really, really beautiful area. And we would, you know, constantly go cliff diving and jumping off rocks and strapping canoes to the top of our cars. And water was a very, very important aspect of our upbringing. Um, mountains and climbing and so on and so forth. You got the picture. One day we noticed that there was a sign and it said no swimming for 24 hours. Well, that's interesting. And on the back of the sign, it had the components of what they had sprayed in that lake as to why they didn't want you to swim for 24 hours. So when you read the components, you started looking at the ingredients and you saw the words like copper sulfate. Uh, that's really scary stuff. Um, we saw some other ingredients, but the bottom line is all of these chemical companies are making these concoctions that cause what's called cellular death. And the reason why they're making these chemicals to cause cellular death is because they have these unsightly invasive weeds. So you say to yourself, well, I don't want the invasive weeds either. So let's nuke the water and hope that it will kill the weeds. But now let's think about what we're doing here. So can fish read? I don't think so. So if fish can't read and you're nuking the water, but a human, you can tell them not to swim for 24 hours. Then that human goes into their little canoe with their fishing pole and goes fishing for some bass, then brings home dinner and puts it on the plate and says, come on, family, let's go and eat this fish that I just caught that's been sucking on tablets or however they've dispersed the chemicals. Now we're talking about some serious stuff here. Right. So I made it a point, my husband and I both, to understand why um, they were spraying these chemicals because they didn't have a way to remove them efficiently. OK, they didn't have a way at the time. They had these large barges or they had uh, people hand pulling in suits, which is very expensive in these wetsuits. So we said, OK, we see the problem. They're they're spraying chemicals because they need to get the weeds out but they don't have a way to do it efficiently. So they're resorting to chemicals. So before we you know, uh, judge them, let's give them an alternative to remove the chemicals. And that's what we did. And we developed a 12 foot vessel. It's kind of like a skid steer for the water, little water tractor. And that tractor has the ability, this we do, it's called we do. Uh, we do Greenboat Inc is the company, we do is our product. It has the ability to remove 500 pounds a minute of biomass. And that's a really important aspect because we can go in, we can remove the weeds and we take them when we put them on the lake's edge. Now, instead of spraying chemicals, they're not going to sink to the bottom of the lake. They're not going to reduce the levels of your lake. They're not going to harm your aquatic life and you get immediate satisfaction. So it makes sense, right? The price of and the then you can, Yeah, go ahead. And then you can put it, yeah, then, then you can put it in a, in a, in a glass and and give it to Sean so he can drink it. <laughs> so here here's the connection. I'll, I'll put it in the mixer. Here's the connection on how we started. Now let, let me let me go somewhere. Let me take it this point on a more <clears throat> philosophical, if you if you will, um, level, which is as human we always look for 
or the shortcut. And I think in the past 20, 30, 50 years, we've taken so many shortcuts that then we realize, yeah, it seems like they solved that problem, but actually made it a much bigger problem, which is exactly what you, you, you tell us here. It's like, okay, you're killing the weed, but you're also killing and damaging everything else on a much larger scale. And uh, does it make sense? So I think we are in a point in our society now that we're looking back and we're fixing the bad stuff that we've done in the past. And that goes in food preparation, uh, all the chemicals we put in there. It goes in the environment. It goes in all of that. So as an example, what you do, I know it came from a passion for, you know, protecting the environment and doing the right thing. What's your take on these into when you look at the more like other industries, uh, in other different places in the world on why did it take A, so long, and B, why is it still so hard to convince people that there is a, a, a good way to do it versus the shortcut that it may not be as good? Is it just money? Is it mentality? I mean, what, what have you learned in these years in, in the industry? So your first question is, is, is you know, why... Why are we even doing why, this? Why are we stupid? Why, why, why are, are we, we stupid? Why, why are we being <laughs> yes. and, and, and honestly, your, your, your question is, is also the question I ask myself. There are other countries that have banned herbicides in the water. And they're not being ignorant. They care about their waterways. Why are we? So then that dovetails into, is it because they don't know? Well, I think the EPA is pretty privy to what goes on. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's not about ignorance. So then the second thing I ask myself, is it greed? Is it big pharma and EPA in a greed situation? That's a pretty big allegation, right? So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know the answer because for me, I've given a solution that when you spray, and I can give you a, a real testimonial, when you spray, I have a, a, a municipality that purchased a boat of mine three years ago, and all they did was spray. The first year they purchased my vessel, they turned their spraying into half. They reduced their spraying by half. The second year, they bought a second boat, reduced their spraying by nearly three quarters. The third year, they bought a third boat, and now they're not spraying at all. And they said to me, Tara, on a mathematical certainty, we're saving money with the vessel opposed to spraying, because not only are the plant life getting used to what we're spraying, which is causing us to spray more, but it's actually once you buy the boat, you own the boat. You don't have to keep spraying. So mathematically, it doesn't even make sense why they haven't made the decision. So I'm going on, I'm going on greed. I'm going on greed because you have to be pretty much a moron if, if you want to keep spraying. Nobody has given me a scientific reason to spray. They haven't because I've developed this. Well, I'm, I'm the moron and I'm going to give you the reason. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm just wondering. Uh, so, so I, I'm interested in in some of the the side effects of spraying. Because you mentioned that spraying kills it, they drop into the into the lake, and the lake rises or creates a a base that maybe they don't you don't want in the lake. What what are some of the other side effects? And of course, I, I can connect my drinking water right this lake that gets sprayed is connected to other water 
streams underground that might in, impact drinking sources and things like that. What are some of the other side effects of, of spraying? So, it's a great question. We don't really know. As a, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not talking to or responding to as a scientist. I'm responding to you as a company owner who focuses on this quite a bit. But what I can tell you is this. The chemical compounds that they use, their intention is to call, cause cellular death, right? So because they want to kill the cells that are keeping the growth. So I can also tell you, uh, without being a physician, that our skin absorbs this chemical components. So when you spray and you use that water to irrigate your land or that water somehow seeps into your well water or that water you walk on it or it's involved in you you're going to absorb that through your skin that's the certainty of how badly is that going to impact or change your body on a cellular level would be a question for a scientist that we better start looking into because i promise you that the chemical compounds are using cause of cellular death and I promise you that that is going into your skin, whether you're swimming, walking, drinking, eating food that animals have drank out of and you're using them for your food source, fish that you're eating and using that for a food source, it's going into your body. Now, to what extent is it causing harm? They either are ignorant about giving us that final detail or they can't because they don't know how much a person has ingested. But I can promise you I would rather you not use it at all. Yeah, and you know, I mean, that that applies to many things that we say that we didn't know. Now, you know, lead into gasoline, then you look back and it caused a lot of problem, not only just environmental problem, but physical problem to people that live, you know, in the 70s near street where the gas was very heavy and lead and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so ignorance is always the easy way out, right? The other thing, and I think you, you can help me try to understand this, is that sometimes that's the only solution. And you have to say, uh, you know, which one? Uh, you're going to put it on, a, on two different um, sides and say, yeah, we, we need to do this. It's like taking medicine, you know? Taking medicine is going to be, there's going to have a side effect, but you know, which one is better. So then eventually you made a new discover come out and now it's safer for you. So in your case, your example, what you do, my question is the convergence of technology that allows to do things that maybe 20 years ago you couldn't do. You may have had this idea, but maybe going by hand would take forever. Maybe you didn't have the same result. So just to be optimistic and you know and, and and know that maybe that was the best way to do it how how do you think that technology now can be driven and oriented to to be used in a in a much more environmentally and human friendly way which is also what you do but do we need that technology to be able to do it I think we've always possessed some level of technology. It's just for what environment and what technology would suit you. So, for example, I could put carp in a lake and they could help, right? That's a fish eating up weeds. That could help to some extent. Um, but chemicals are also more expensive 
So I guess the question is, is you really have two choices. You could do hand pulling with divers and that can be, that can get expensive. Um, or you can use mechanical removal methods. I happen to be one of them. Um, not a lot of us in this space. Um, there's only a few, uh, one in ha Holland and Germany and me. Uh, I think there's an amphibious thing in Sweden, but pretty much you're looking at it, right? There's only three of us. So I think if you just embrace mechanical removal, I think that is undoubtedly the safest and least expensive way of removing unwanted debris in a waterway. And let's let's classify what unwanted debris is, right? So you have invasive weeds. There's 20, 30 different species, right? From milfoil, duckweed, um, hydrilla. I can give you a list of things. And they all started because humans through the aquarium plants in put body of water so that they could have better fishing. And that's how most of these weeds started, by the way. And then the fish, the birds you know, take some of the seeds and bring them to other lakes and so forth. But, you know, your question is, is what technology can you embrace that fits economics, that, fit, that, that fits reasonable effort, that is smart for the environment? What technology? Um, that would be mechanical removal or human removal not chemical there is no Tara, situation can I, can I stop because i've ever dreamed has chemical needs sorry if i can if i can interrupt because i'm i'm curious you talk about unwanted yeah uh items in there i'm just wondering how how precise is the removal or does the removal have to be are there natural plants that we do want in there are there natural things that that we don't want to disturb in there that the mechanical removal needs to be aware of? And if so, <laughs> really does technology help with any question. of that? Yeah, so precision harvesting is absolutely imperative. We have to be very responsible. You have to know your weed. <laughs> I had to say it. Sorry. Um, you, you really do need to be um, educated. So take a given body of water, a lake, um, you're going to have what we call invasives, like we just discussed, and you're going to have natives. And those natives help with oxygen. They help with food source. They help with the chain of aquatic life. And so you're 100% right. So we, we really have developed the front end of our attachments on our vessel to enable precision harvesting. <clears throat> extremely, extremely important and a great question because a lot of people say, well, I'll just nuke the lake and everything will go. Well, okay, but why? Those frogs wanted those lily pads. You could have reduced them and kept some. Um, you know, there's bulrush. There's, there are native plants that we need and the environment's used to having them. And it feeds a various amount of, of aquatic life. So yeah, you, you definitely need precision harvesting and, and, and be educated about it for sure. So let me talk about who that is. So I think you said you know, municipality is one. I think we talked the high level EPA and you said not much is happening at that level. How, who needs to know that this, well, I guess are, are, if they're spraying, they probably know that the problem exists. Um, who, how do they know that there are alternatives that are viable and who has that conversation? How do, how do decisions get made? maybe some insight into th those conversations to help 
find a path that's better than, than spring. So education is the best, right? Let's teach these, let's teach people as best as we can. And, and you both gentlemen are giving me the opportunity to try to help educate your listeners. Education is the best. We need to inform people. Um, first of all, you always, as you alluded to in the beginning, um, where's your water source coming from? Always ask yourself that. You can be a 12 year old, you could be an adult, you can be a municipality, you can be a homeowner, you can be an HOA, you can be, where is your water coming from? Is it is it being contained? How is it being contained? How is it flowing? Um, if your water is coming from a lake, how is it being treated? Is it being chemically treated? Is it being mechanically removed? Is there soil testing being done? Um, to get a soil test, you go to your local lakeside, you pull out some soil, and about two feet of water, you send it off to a lab and you want to hear, see the contaminants in there. Um, there's a lot of information on the web that talks about different uh, weeds, invasive weeds and native weeds and what you should keep and what you shouldn't keep. Um, but I would say right now, to be honest with you, I'd say about half of our business is government. We're on GSA, but we sell to municipalities, we sell to the federal government. And they make a point in educating themselves and what they need to do. But the other half of my business are homeowner associations, um, individuals that are maintaining people's lakes for a living. And they they don't come from, you know, they're not biologists, they're not botanists, they're, they're, they're people, regular people like us that, that are in the business of doing maintenance and they do the research and they say, in any given body of water, this is what needs to stay, this is what is invasive, this is how we remove it. And it's very important that we do it in an educated way. And the research that's available from Google to ChatGBT to any way you want to slice it, you can get that data in your given area. But I think the first question you have to ask yourself is, what is happening to my local lake or, or by water that's near me? Where's my walk, my drinking water coming from and how is that being treated? And all of this is, is, is data that you can find especially if the water is being maintained by state, federal, you know, Corps of Engineers, that data is available to you. It's your right. The biggest and most scary, scary thing I found in a particular example here in Florida is in an effort to save money on your water bill, they're putting a pump inside a lake near your homes, especially HOAs, developers are doing it. And that pump is what irrigates your flowers, land, your grass, your walk paths. And people sometimes have their cute little gardens outside their house and it's like, and I'm sitting there like, oh my God, do they even realize that they're spraying these lakes and they're spraying their herb gardens with this exact water? So the answer to your question is you've got to ask, you've got to go out there and where's my water coming from? That lake that I like to swim in, does anybody maintain it? Who owns it? Who maintains it? Is it owned by the state, federal? Is it owned by a person? These are questions we have to ask ask ourselves. Why am I These why are my tomatoes so big? <laughs> <laughs> why yeah. are they why do they have spots that shouldn't have? And they, why, why do, do they, they glow have, in the dark? Why, why there is an eye on it that is looking at me <laughs> and uh, it's radioactive. Now, I mean, I look, this is what we do with the ITSP magazine. It's we we are focused on educating people and making them think. So uh, the reason why we wanted to have this conversation, it seems like such a, sometimes it's like so duh, 
<laughs> like, why didn't I think about that? But we're also so driven by doing it quick, doing it cheap. Um, yes. We've always done it that way. I, I That's the one I hated the most. I hate that mm-hmm. we've always done it that way. It's a, so what? First of all, you didn't do it that way a hundred years ago. I'm pretty sure you didn't right. put chemical, you know, so let how, how, how far can we go without always done it that way? So um, the price point, I mean, what, what's the hard thing for you and you when you get to make a sale? You have somebody that says, OK, I understand this, but this is what I got. Right. I mean, I. Is there like a conversation sometimes that is so much cheaper to just drop the bomb, the chemical bomb in there? And and I'm thinking these in your case as a maybe the case in a lot of other situations related to environment and solution that are efficient, but not so environmentally friendly. So where do we meet with with the economics of things? Which is exactly why we designed the vessel the way we did. In the past, prior to our existence, the only way you could buy a harvester, they're usually expensive, very large, hard to get into smaller waterways. You had to use cranes. If they broke down, they were more difficult to manage. <clears throat> so we built something that's only 12 feet in length. It's under $100,000. And once, if, if you buy this machine and you're using it to operate your own business, you're going to charge 1800 to 2000 a day. And in a week or two, you know, you could pull out 500 pounds a minute, depending on how much biomass is there. Basically within 50 days, you have your first boat paid off. If you're buying this as a business in 50 working days, first vessels paid off. Now, if I were somebody who did landscaping, aquatic landscaping for a living, and I was spraying chemicals, I would spray. I'd spray again, and then I'd spray, and then I'd look at my bottom line, and I would say, wow, you know, I'm spraying, I'm getting paid for it, I'm getting paid the same amount of money for spraying as I am for this machine, and I actually pay this machine off after 50 days. So, but I don't have to keep buying chemicals. So mathematically, it's a no-brainer, right? So in 50, the first boat's paid off. But if you're a chemical sprayer, you have to continue to buy. Say, for example, you're using Bionic. You're going you're gonna to spend 50000 60000 a year doing, you know, 30 acres of lakes. I'm just using an example. Don't hold me to it. But roughly where you buy the boat and you're done. Now you have the boat and you just keep using the boat and, and going out and treating people's lakes. So mathematically, it's a no-brainer. It's a return on your investment where chemicals you have to keep treating. They've also done a tremendous amount of study to say some of these invasive weeds have developed their own tolerance to chemicals. So they might have sprayed this lake with a particular ingredient for some time. And now those weeds are like, hey, you know what? I got your number. So I'm going to develop ways so that I'm resistant. And now they go and nuke it again and again. Now they're spending more money and trying to satisfy the customer because they gave their customer basically uh, a number and said this is how it's going to be, whether the customer's a government or the customer's a customer. And they got to keep nuking it because the weeds are coming back and the customer says, hey, you told me after you sprayed it away. Well, it's called resistance. And that, that applies to... 
<laughs> to animal to mosquitoes you know same same thing are you mm. going to keep developing stronger and stronger chemicals but i think that and not, then i'm going to pass that sean to to wrap this conversation but i'm also thinking that something like this it happens in in a lot of other industry i'm thinking you know solar panel what are you not getting the solar panel because they're way more expensive than what you pay for electricity this month but you need to project your calculation into into the future and sure there was a point where it was not as good as for the price that you were paying but technology is bringing the barrier lower so i think that's what allow you to to run your business and and justify it not just from an environmentally uh, friendly perspective but also from an economical one so so sean the next time you drink water what, what are you gonna do <laughs> i'm gonna swallow it as long as I know where it came from. Um, no, and I, I always have one more question, and I'm I'm hopeful that uh, we can go here, Tara, because I've been a product developer, software developer for many years, and I kind of know what it takes to to build software, and kind of the platforms change underneath, and the the delivery vessels change over time. Um, I've never built a physical product like this. Can you? I'm interested how a vessel like this gets designed and created. And is that something you can share a little bit about? Of course I can. So manufacturing is a whole beast all on its own. Manufacturing is um, an industry where you have to develop steps. You have to allocate a certain amount of time for each of those steps in order to determine your profitability and how you have to price things. So in our situation, we break up building this boat into seven phases. And of those seven phases, we allocate a certain amount of time that it takes to build those products. Now, we build our vessels. I don't send them out to some other country. We build everything. We have our own welding. Um, I do buy Kubota engines. I don't build those. I do buy those. Um, there's a few things that I do have to buy, but we build our boats. And when you are in control of your build, um, it's very important because when it comes to maintaining your speed at which that you build and the quality, those are two very huge factors in manufacturing that either makes or breaks you. I also think that because we are manufacturing this vessel um, in such a a, a very strict manner. It's very hard for others to come and compete and the barriers to entry are therefore very high. So to your question, we break up building the vessel into phases and we allocate a certain amount of time for each phase. Uh, we build a fiberglass hull. Once we're done with the fiberglass hull, we then start building and mounting the components that go on top of the vessel. When the vessel's done and ready, we do water testing. Um, and as we do the water testing, we determine if everything has been built properly, we also have quality control at each stage of building the vessel. So at each phase, we have QC and we usually have two uh, individuals signing off. Um, at any given time, something goes wrong in the water testing. I can look back into my charts to see what, who was the tradesman. I have an unbelievable team. Um, my, uh, the people who work at this company, I think, believe in our agenda. It's not just about getting a paycheck. They believe in what they're doing. They're proud of it. They love the idea that they're going to work and we're building a product 
the environment. So I believe that kind of goes that love and that kind of uh, I think that acceptance goes into their trades, their trade work. Um, and I love that. Um, so you go through stages and then you go to water testing. And when you go to water testing, uh, you look for your final components after you get a final component um, and you've done your water testing, you're presenting it to your client um, and then you're doing training. Um, we really, really uh, are always pushing training, whether they can do it online with us or they can do it in person. Um, the boat is very easy to maintain, uh, but we believe that it's important to train people on preventative maintenance. Check your fuel, know where your fuel source is, like your 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 diesel. Make sure that you have a trusted source. Make sure that you do your preventative maintenance, like your filters and your uh, fastenings and your take care of your equipment. So we push that. Um, but otherwise, the manufacturing, um, you know, use software that helps you maintain Gantt charts that keep you on target you know, over, uh, over deliver and, and, and under promise, right? Over promise, under deliver. Did I say it backwards? Over deliver, under promise. Yeah. Anyway, you want to make sure if you tell your client eight weeks, I'll have vessel, you build it in seven, right? Um, I think that manufacturing though is its own animal. I came from wall street. I was in, I was in it building my own software at one point in my life. Um, I've had to read myself a few times just because either family member passed or, or what have you, and I can tell you that, that manufacturing is a lot of fun, but you are um, very responsible for every step of the way, and you better dot your eyes and cross your teeth. It's not for the faint heart, it's not easy. Um, it's not like having an HP 12 calculator and getting in your car and driving to a customer's house. This is really serious stuff, and it requires, we are ISO 9001 certified, but we take it very seriously, we take safety seriously, but most of all, um, I'm really a big stickler in my warehouse for the way we put things away, the way we keep our tools. Um, I'm very maternal about that. I want everything done in two and I want everything put away properly and things swept and so forth. So that's about what I would say on a manufacturing standpoint and how we build it. But every one of my clients are always welcome to come through any one of our buildings. And even look in a tutorial closet because I assure you they'll see perfection. And that I'm 100% sure. Well, it's beautiful. You're you're really proud of what you do as you should, and sounds like you're extremely passionate. And uh, it, that's that's beautiful. You know, I think you're, you. you've, you're doing something you believe in. And and as we yeah. we, we didn't actually touch on this, but I'm going to close with this, which is nowadays uh, we talk about like having company brands that stick with their vision and mission and, and maybe their vision and mission is to do good for real, not that then you change it. I'm not going to talk about headline, uh, like a tagline of company that have changed it in the technology industry. But the point is you can do good. You can do give jobs to people and, uh, and, and, uh, and make money and, and grow your business. So that's, I think that's how people need to look at uh, the future of the of the economy and society, and uh, and hopefully technology is going to come to help to get that level where it's affordable, it makes sense, and it makes sense for our future as as humanity. So, with that said, I I invite people to look at the notes here. Uh, we'll we'll share a way that you can get in touch with Tara and uh, learn more about what she does and also reflect 
on what we talked at a larger scale and a societal level and even philosophical way to look at things. So thank you very much, Tara. Thank you to Sean. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's, it's helpful to get the yeah. education out there. Yeah. It's a pleasure. I love this story. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Audio Signals. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society, and some even beyond that.